giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with the one and only... What? Why are you laughing? I just pictured you, like, getting super excited. <laughs> like, I am, I'm always like, excited. Hello, everybody! Well, so one of the things that I worry about is that my energy level is not going to match the start of the podcast, because yeah. we do these these things at the at the end. That's the secret of the Giant Robots podcast. Uh, I'm here today. That's all. That's all part of the intro, by the way. With Chad Pytel. Hello, Chad. Hey, Ben. How's it going? Good. So uh, we thought we'd do this episode and do a year in review. We did this uh, a while ago, maybe like more than a year ago. Way more than a year ago. This is not like a uh, back-to-back year in review. Um, but we figured we'd take a, a year from today, which is July first. Yeah. And uh, look back and see what had happened. And the thing that struck me as I was making the notes for this episode is that we do a lot of stuff. Like the word launch showed up like a bunch of times. <laughs> Maybe too many times. Maybe too many times. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but let's, let's go all the way back. Let's... Okay, before we go all the way back, I yeah. just wanted to acknowledge that this is like episode 153. And I don't think that there was an acknowledgement of like the three-year oh, you're right. anniversary of the podcast. That's totally so, true. So one fifth. wait. It's one, not. No, we already no, 156. Passed. No, it hasn't. Oh. Because there's 52 weeks in a year. Right. So one calendar wise, I think we might, oh, we that's might probably be there. true. Yeah. Well, so congratulations. Oh, thank you. I think it actually is. I think we're going to call 156 the three year one. Yeah. We'll have to figure out something wild. Yeah. We should get Tender Love on. Yeah. We've, I think we had him on like year one and year two anniversaries. Yeah. It might have to happen. It again. usually happens around RailsConf. It so. does. But RailsConf was a little early this year. So. But I think the calendar-wise date has already passed. Okay. Well, that's fine. Yeah. It's crazy what doing something every week will do to you. I know. Mentally. I'm yeah, a, sh- I'm a shell of a man. You have a full head of gray hair now. <laughs> it's true. Uh, Sorry. I didn't mean to distract you. No, it's okay. I, I like distractions. <laughs> Otherwise, I have to just carry this thing on my back. <laughs> <laughs> like you usually do. Yeah. So 2014. Cast your mind back to June. I'm going to say June uh, of 2014. When... We were busy switching to Slack, apparently. Oh, man. Yeah. It's been a year. Yeah. <laughs> Slack is awesome. I, I really like Slack. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's good. The process of... Sw- we, so we used Campfire before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, th- if the, anything, though, the last 12 months has shown us is that it's hard to get a group of 100 people to agree <laughs> on something uh-huh. and to make change. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know... Part of what has always defined Thoughtbot, I think, is the fact that we change. And that definitely becomes harder and harder. And Slack is a good example of one of those things where, like, we put a research card on the research board about a couple of different things. We tried them. We had used different things with clients. But it became clear that, like, someone's got to make this decision. Joe was sort of appointed to the one, be the one to make the decision. And... Not everyone was going to be happy, but the key was what we had tried. We had tried something before we tried Slack. Mm-hmm. And we said, okay, we're all going to go in there on Friday, and it's just an experiment for this Friday. And then the like the next Monday, everyone went back to Campfire on Monday. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing we tried was Slack. Mm-hmm. And we said, we're going to do the same thing. This Friday, everyone in Slack. But then when we came in on Monday... People were still using Slack. They mm-hmm. had come back into Slack. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that that was the key indicator. It's like, okay, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if people will keep on using it, then let's keep on using it. Yeah, I'm a fan too. I've been, I'm happy with the change. I dig it. Just so you know, though, I have like 50 things here. So yeah. we, we can't oh, okay. tack that we long can't. on any one thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like that was, that was fascinating. <laughs> but we we got to move along. <laughs> this is June of 2014 and we got to get all the way to today. Okay. And you have a plane to catch. Yes. So literally, uh, okay. <laughs> just heads up. So in that same month, uh, Kaplan bought Dev Bootcamp. Yeah. Which uh, changed the landscape of our uh, bootcamp situation. That's right. <laughs> Next item. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. Um, How dare you bring that up? We, we, I'm trying to move things along, Ben. Okay. You're taking so long. Your answers are so long-winded. <laughs> um, yeah, so we had been running Metis, the Ruby on Rails Metis bootcamp for almost uh, nine months. Uh, we had done three classes in Boston and New York, and it was going well. And Basically, as a result of that, Dev Bootcamp super popular. Kaplan got involved with us doing the bootcamp because they wanted to be in the market and to have an impact. Mm-hmm. And Dev Bootcamp is so huge. Dev Bootcamp graduates about, I think they're on track to do a thousand people a year. Mm-hmm. And we, in the three classes we had run, we were just hitting a hundred people. So that was their way of, of accelerating that. Yep. And it made perfect sense, and I was in the loop with them on it from the beginning, or you know, as soon as they were comfortable telling me about it, and and it made sense. What wasn't clear was whether Metis our bootcamp would continue once they bought Dev Bootcamp. Mm-hmm. I suspected that it wouldn't. They sort of suspected that it wouldn't, but we said, let's play it by ear. Let's see. Maybe there's a bifurcation in the market that makes sense because mm. Dev Bootcamp is different than Metis was. Mm-hmm. But we, um, you know, ultimately they decided to just focus on Dev Bootcamp. Mm-hmm. And so we wound Metis Ruby on Rails Bootcamp down, and now we don't do that anymore. Yeah. I guess that's one benefit of being a giant company is you can decide, like, you know what? Let's just buy something that's, like, 10x larger than what we've been doing so far and move faster. Yeah. And K- Kaplan has a, um, a history of buying things that's one of the reasons why they are so big in test prep is mm-hmm. because they've bought so many other firms that are doing something new that kind of thing and they they buy them up and incorporate them or keep their brand separate mm-hmm. and that's why they originally thought maybe they would do that with metis the ruby on rails bootcamp metis because they've successfully done that with other organizations yep okay uh so in july we renamed learn to upcase yeah, that was you want nice. to talk about that one? Totally. So we so learn the reason we were calling what we were doing in the teaching space learn was because we decided that the URL should be learn.thoughtbot.com, and that was like the end of our thought process about it. And like suddenly the name for it was like learn.thoughtbot.com was like the name of the business thing that we had done, and that was just kind of an accident of history, I guess. Yeah, because it started out learn was our books an aggregation of our blog posts around topics like it was the extra and some videos and everything. it was the extraction of what was happening at thoughtbot so it made sense to have it a subdomain made sense to call it that right before that we we had sort of crossed the threshold where it became its own thing its own product yeah and it needed its own name yep and it, it was it was hard to describe it as like it's a url that's a thing and right it was so generic so we uh we had a funny co- i remember you had a funny conversation where upcase actually came from which is like we had had a couple like we'd gotten together a couple times trying to name the thing and had not come up with anything we really liked and you were at dinner with some people 
somewhere? I mean, this was RailsConf yeah, or something was, like that? It was in, yeah, it was RailsConf. Or either that or RubyConf. Yeah, that yeah. was it. And you were having dinner with someone and like, yeah, we tried a couple times and we, we couldn't come up with a name. Like, oh, come on, how hard could it be? You're like, all right, well, what's your name? And he was like, uh, upcase. Right. <laughs> You're like, huh. Yeah, it was Anthony Navar in our Denver office. Yeah. Just dropped the name. Good, like, good credit. And yeah. And we were just like, what? <laughs> Perfect. It's pretty legit. So yeah. that's when we became upcase. Uh, so moving to August. August 2014 uh, had a couple launches, actually. So we launched our first production Haskell service, which was the comment engine for the blog. Uh, that was like Joe and Pat Brisbane working on that mostly. Oh, I come think. on. What? <laughs> I worked on it too. Oh, that's right. Okay, good. And Chad Pytel. Yeah. Was a major force. So this was the first, like you said, our first, it wasn't just the, a new commenting service for our blog. It was our first real production Haskell application. So mm-hmm. a bunch of people had been learning Haskell. Pat has done it and had built some things in it. Joe has as well, but nothing like, real production need to go to a server need to replicate what we might do for a client kind of thing so it was there was a lot we had to solve for and it's sort of exciting because it's very clear when you're doing things and this is something i hit up against like you're searching for something you're googling something you're like i am the only person who has ever tried to do what we're doing before Mm. maybe there's one other person in the Haskell the, world, you mean? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's both terrifying, but also exciting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's nice to be learning new things. And part of that was that we were applying our constraints from what we know works or our prejudices around technology. So, like, we really wanted to use SAS, SCSS, mm-hmm. in the app. And that there's no support for that built in, mm-hmm. or there wasn't at the time. Yep. But we really wanted to. So to figure out how to do that, we either needed to write it ourselves or whatever. But there's that period of time where you're like Googling it and it's clear no one has done this before in the <laughs> world. <laughs> so we pushed it out. We eventually did it. And um, it's been running really seamlessly ever since. And then we, we eventually launched as our as a product that people yep. can sign up for and yep. put medium style commenting on their blog. I have a note about that later Okay, in the, in the list of yeah. things. Well, we might not get to it. That's, that's true. <laughs> not at this pace. <laughs> we'll get to it, but no one will actually hear it because they'll have skipped to the next more interesting podcast in their yeah. list. Uh, another thing that happened in August is we went to uh, released, launched paid repos on Hound, our uh, style code checker service app they would love that elevator pitch they'd be so proud <laughs> so hound comments on pull requests when you uh it checks your code against a style guide and comments on your pull requests if it finds violation and uh, we started letting people pay us for that for like private repos yeah i think, I think we had trick. been using it internally for a while mm-hmm. and honestly it wasn't clicking internally mm-hmm. for a while because the way it worked before was it didn't comment on the pull requests mm. it just you know um I think it left one comment saying there was feedback and mm. or something. It, it didn't click. <laughs> you have a style violation somewhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and eventually, we through feedback, through using it internally, we said, what if it commented on the individual lines? Mm-hmm. And we had avoided that because, if I remember right, because it, we were concerned it would be so noisy. And sometimes it is. Like sometimes you mm-hmm. put up a pull request and Hound, you get 50 comments from Hound. Mm. But overall, when that's only at the beginning, as you get more comfortable working within the style guide, it goes down 
you know, to be less. And, you know, that was the, that was the key is to be able to get those comments on the individual lines of the style. And from there, once we hit upon that, I think it was almost instantaneous because it was ready to go as a product and we were sort of holding it back because Mm. we were like, it's not clicking. But then once it clicked, it was like a minimal amount of work to then let the rest of the world use it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I've been happy having that on Upcase. It's just nice to not have to, mostly not have to think about style and then every once in a while, oh yeah, that's right. We said we'd do this. And so just push a quick fix. Right. I dig that. Uh, so another August thing was the summer summit in San Francisco. Was that the first summer summit? No, no. We've been doing summer summits for one year before that is when we first called it a summer summit, but we've been doing okay. summer retreats for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. The year before was Boston. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I can't remember. Cause I didn't go anywhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a normal week. Um, but San Francisco was the first time that we had traveled significantly for it because previously we were only in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we would go to the Cape or Rhode Island. It was called Cape Code. Right. And we did that. Mm-hmm. And some people had to travel, but the majority of people were in Boston. So San Francisco was the first time where we ever like traveled from Boston yeah. to, to do it. I remember doing like back of the envelope calculation thinking like this thing has got to cost like $200,000 to just like put people to, in the same place. Yeah. We budget a thousand. The budget is a thousand dollars per person. Yeah. So we're a hundred people now. So, right. Uh, that's just to get people there. That yeah, no, no that's that the everything? budget for the whole event. Okay, all right. And the way it works is, you know, some people, the people coming from Europe, their tickets obviously more expensive, right? But some people aren't traveling at all. So overall, per person, the goal is a thousand dollars. And honestly, I don't know whether we hit that or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's pretty close, mm-hmm. and so we don't stress out about the details. Yeah, but it's so it's expensive, but it's it's nice. It's nice to be able to get everyone together and we do interesting social things and mix the offices up and have dinners and yeah. And you know, the little bit like people become so much more comfortable with each other. Uh, we do those statistics on the blog at the end of the year. Yep. And they had shown the people who worked on that shown that like the amount of swears in our Slack mm-hmm. goes up after the summer summit. <laughs> and I think that that just shows that people are more comfortable with each other, Yeah, that's funny. which is really, I think valuable. Yeah. So for $1,000 a person, you can get more <laughs> profanity in Slack. You know, I'll, I'll swear more for $500. Yeah. We can work something out. So uh, going to September, uh, so we used to bundle all of our eBooks in with Upcase. And then in, started in September, we pulled them out of Upcase and began selling them individually. Yeah. Well, if you remember, we didn't actually begin selling them individually right away. We pulled them out of Upcase and they just weren't available for like a month. Oh, right. nice. <laughs> MVP. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it was clear that they didn't belong in Upcase anymore as a product. Yeah. So that was the, the primary thing. People ask about why we did that. And the experience I was having was that people tended to not read them. Mm-hmm. Like they would sign up for Upcase and download all of them because mm-hmm. why not? But then they would just kind of sit in a folder and, and they wouldn't actually get, you know, any benefit from it i kept asking people like oh like have you read there's like a, people would ask me a question i'd be like oh like there's a section in ruby science like on this have you read this like oh no no i didn't so right. we're like okay if people aren't really getting value then we should uh, probably have them somewhere else right and honestly from a business perspective although this wasn't the primary motivator like if people weren't valuing it but people other people would pay individually to buy it because mm-hmm. we that was no longer an option 
at the time was right. you couldn't buy you them. couldn't buy the book individually you had to subscribe mm-hmm. and there were people who do want the book and would pay individually for the book but they weren't they there was no way for get them to get at it mm-hmm. and then the flip side of that is there were authors at thought people at thoughtbot who wanted to write more books and what was the incentive for doing that if it wasn't performing within upcase right like why would we have them spend that time doing another book that would just go but whereas there's a real compelling case write the book pre-sell it as a normal book and have people buy it Mm -hmm. makes much more sense Mm -hmm. it's been interesting to me how like upcase has evolved over time like it started off as like we just drew a circle around all of the tg Mm -hmm. stuff and then we sort of have pulled things out and focused it down more and more and like even this week i'm working to focus the topics down even more so it's like we continually march towards a clearer idea of what it should be and what needs to be in there yeah which feels good yeah, it did, I mean, it didn't start as a product. I think that that's the, the key thing. It started as an evolution of putting all of the stuff we were doing together online, workshops, books, yep. that kind the of thing, thing. The thing that blows my mind is the first commit for the the repo that is currently Upcase mm-hmm. is seven years old. Yeah. Because I think originally, the very beginning, it was the app. So we, the very beginning, it was an app that took lunch orders for the workshops that were running at the time, I think was its initial... Yeah, that was basically, I mean, you'd register for the workshop we were running yep. and say what you, um, like, whether you had dietary restrictions. Mm-hmm. That was that was how it started. Right. So it's funny how code sticks around. Yeah. Like that. I think that a lot of successful businesses, a lot of successful online things, that's the reality is mm-hmm. that you grow and you change and it's old code and you refactor it and you clean it up and... I think that that's why it's important that you continually maintain and write good code and not cut corners whenever possible. And you know, you look at the upcase code, and yeah, it's not perfect. Like it, there's a, there's there's stuff there that's only the way that it is because of the history of right. upcase. Right. But so is the business of upcase only the way that it is. <laughs> Because and, and that's just the reality. It, re- it reflects reality. Mm-hmm. And if, I think if you take, you can't take one and put it in a vacuum and still have the same thing necessarily. Yeah, I think it's the the reality is that things tend to be iterative. Like you don't right. just decide, oh, the, we're going to launch a business and it will look like this, and like you figured it out in in one step. Right. Like you're going to be wrong, right. or at least we are. All, yeah, all the time. <laughs> so in October. Um, in researching this, I was going through a lot of our blog posts, and one of the things that, that stuck out to me was in October, we had a post about events that we were doing, like local events yeah. at the different offices and also places we were speaking. And there were like five meetup-y event things per office mm-hmm. for like, you know, six or seven offices plus a bunch of conferences. Like we, it made me realize like how much we do in terms of local events. Yeah. So behind the scenes, so I think I did that in October. I did it in November. The reason why we started doing that is because we all got together. Uh, we had a sense that, hey, we're doing all this stuff. It'd be really nice if there was a web app or a website where people could view our events and the events we're going to. We got together in a room and we talked about it. And as per usual, we talked ourselves out of building anything and just said, well, what we basically have is a blog post. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And so we did the blog post. But like... It's a, it was a lot of work to pull together that information mm-hmm. and very little like immediate return. Like right. there was no engagement on it. There was no like, you know, so I think I'd, we did it two months and then stopped. Yep. But it's, it's, I like that 
story. I like that fact that we're like we're, we do that happens actually pretty frequently. We're like, oh, we should build this thing, and it, actually, the simple first version that we're going to test is like an email, right, or a blog post, right. Uh, I think that's healthy. Right. But yeah, so to get back to the actual point, I think we do tons of uh, Vim meetups. We run, we don't typically run the Ruby group or, or, or host the Ruby group because it tends to be too big. Mm-hmm. But we often do like a project night where people come together in our office and work on things. So in almost every city, we're doing, we're doing something like that. And um, it's the kind of thing we just do because we would do it anyway. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it helps with you know marketing and things like that. Oh, it certainly has benefits, but that's not like the primary motivating factor. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, October we launched Formkeep. Yeah, just form endpoints for designers and developers might be the pitch there. Yeah, I, I did it better with that one. Than yeah. The yeah. One. <laughs> so Formkeep originally, so we launched it in October. Uh-huh. The first version of Formkeep got put together in our end of the year like hackathon that we have okay. in December of thir- 2013. Uh-huh. So that was when me and Goose and Trace and maybe a couple other people, I forget who, I'm sorry if I'm forgetting you. Hmm. We had been talking about the problems we had with Wufu and how it wasn't really fitting us and we were building a lot of static websites and we really just wanted to put a form that would then go into a backend and would submit to an endpoint. And then from that endpoint, you'd trigger webhooks and integrate with Zapier and all that kind of stuff. So we put together the prototype of that in two days. Mm-hmm. Then it took from January to October to get it to the point where it was a product that actually made sense mm-hmm. that other people could sign up for that had been tested and customer feedback. We went through rounds of like, okay, we think it's to the point now where we're going to invite a bunch of beta testers to use it, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And launched it and Formkeep is one it's our fastest growing new product you know lots of people use it and love it and for the same reasons that that we created it for ourselves because we make these websites we don't want to build a whole app but we want to take a simple form and you know put it out send an email response and trigger some hooks and now we use it for every like because Zapier and the webhook functionality that's built into Formkeep is so powerful, we use it for tons of stuff. Yeah. And it's nice to not have to like embed an iframe and like figure out how to style that. And right, exactly. All that nonsense with, with Wufu. Yeah. It's clear that it's meant at like a, a point and click kind of audience, not developer audience. Yep. Uh, so also in that month, uh, we did ran Keep Ruby Weird, which is a conference in Austin, Texas. Yet another event thing that we did. Yeah. Keep Ruby Weird we did an episode of the of the podcast where cuz you were out and okay. and the the people who organized it sort of did a round table oh, discussing about the thing you may have you may have missed it I missed it I don't subscribe <laughs> to my own podcast <laughs> but um it was really successful and it you know it didn't lose money which is huge mm-hmm. uh, it's going to happen again they haven't announced it yet but You're it's almost certain that it's going right to oh no it, it's almost certain that there. it's going to happen okay. again I don't know when or have any details, but it was really good for us in Austin. So, yeah. That's cool. I that I like attending conferences. I would never sign up to run one. It seems like an insane amount of time pressure, sensitive to-dos. Yeah. Mostly thankless and invisible. I think that the key is to work with a group of people. Yeah, for sure. That Who actually are all committed to making it work and are going to put in the time and when you do that it becomes significantly easier 
You know, you know what's weird to me is the economics of conferences. Mm-hmm. Like, it's weird that you can't run a conference without sponsors to me. Right. Like, you have to sell ads to make a conference work. Mm-hmm. You can't just charge people money for it enough, apparently. Like, the demand is not there. Like, I've seen conferences shut down. They're like, oh, we sold out tickets, but we didn't right. get any sponsors. We can't do the conference. Sorry. We refunded everybody. So, I don't know that that's true. <laughs> I just don't know that it's been tested. And there are conferences that are run by, you know, significant entities that charge people fifteen, sixteen, two thousand dollars, twenty five hundred dollars to right. go to the conference. I bet like Oracle's conference. Yes, exactly. That's like Java One. Yeah, those I, kinds of things. They probably don't need to sell ads, but they do. Because <laughs> why not? Why not? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, it, you know, I think at the low end, when you're trying to keep prices low. Mm-hmm. You you, you do, need, it to, you break need even. it to break even, right? And at the high end, where you're charging people enough, you can make more if you take sponsorship. Let's do that. Let's run a <laughs> conference that's obscenely expensive and makes a huge amount of money. <laughs> See, that's what I'm interested in. <laughs> what what would a Ruby conference look like that cost like five thousand dollars? <laughs> it would probably look like uh, what was that? Um, like fun comp or um, less comp? Maybe I I don't know anything about that. Where they just do like, you know, they're taking a helicopter ride to a castle and yeah that kind of thing. Yeah, that sounds yeah. good. And the, the conference is at a castle. and Or like Nordic Ruby where it was yep. a Japanese spa right. kind of thing. Like, yeah, let's do that, but even more, right. even harder. We'll, we'll put some people on it. <laughs> Keep Ruby expensive will be what we call it. <laughs> you ha- we'll call it, we know you have a giant conference budget. <laughs> Time to blow it. We'll put it right at the end of the year when the budget's going to reset. So people are like, ah, how am I going to spend this $3,000? This is a great idea. So I think people in general, they want people to be able to attend the conference. Right. I think also in general, developers underestimate what people are willing to pay (laughs) for things. Yep. It's just like, I think our nature. Yeah. Well, so it it depends like what, who you're targeting, right? Like if you're, if it's, if it's someone that's going to pay for it out of pocket, Mm -hmm. like then like they need to pay $300 or something. But like if they're at a giant company that has a training budget and it's just like, yes, there's just money in this pile. If you want to use it, right. You don't care. You're not price sensitive. And the tricky point is when you're trying to, when you don't, when you aren't focused and you're trying to have something which is for everybody, then you can't split that. Whereas like Java one or you know, these other conferences, right. they know exactly who they're targeting. And so they can set their pricing accordingly. Totally. Hey there, friends. Guess what? Today's episode was sponsored by our friends over at DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean provides simple and fast cloud hosting built for developers for as little as $5 a month. Now, we are, in fact, happy DigitalOcean customers. On Upcase, uh, our Git server that runs our exercise system is hosted on DigitalOcean, and I will tell you, I forget about it. We set it up one time. It has not needed any changes since. It has had perfect uptime, as far as I'm aware, and that is exactly what I look for in a host. Uh, I want to set something up and then basically never think about it again, and that's exactly what we have. Uh, DigitalOcean is kind of awesome because it's built for developers. Uh, It's used by over 400,000 developers, which is kind of a ridiculous amount of customers. Way to go, DigitalOcean. There's some interesting things you can do. You can choose your operating system. They have Ubuntu and CentOS and Debian and Fedora and CoreOS and FreeBSD. Everyone uses CoreOS. I know that's true. Uh, They have one-click install for things like Django and Docker and Drupal and GitLab and 
no JS if you are, have judgment so bad as to use that. Uh, Ruby on Rails, other things like that. Uh, the servers are big and beefy, tons of CPUs, tons of RAM, huge amount of hard drive space. If you need a gigantic box that's insanely powerful for doing some crunching of data, if your data's big, for example, they can help you out. Uh, 99.99% uptime is great. And yeah, you can deploy a server to the cloud, that cloud that we all love, in as little as 55 seconds. So if I have intrigued you, and I hope I have, head over to digitalocean.com to learn more. And when you sign up, use code GIANTROBOTS with a capital G and a capital R, sorry, a giant G and a giant R at checkout, and you will get a $10 credit towards your purchase. So thank you very much to DigitalOcean for supporting this show. All right, November. Uh, we launched the Bike Shed podcast, which is terrible, and no one should listen to it. You should only <laughs> listen to this podcast. It's the only one you need. No, it's actually great. I really like Bike Shed. Um, I don't subscribe to that many podcasts, but I actually do subscribe to that, and I listen to it, and I like it. Derek and Sean know what's up. It's it's like this podcast, only if people talked about programming. <laughs> yeah. So we, we had been doing Build Phase for mm-hmm. a while, mm-hmm. which is basically, you know, no compromise talking about not being afraid to talk about code every week just extracting conversations about topics or the things that we're working on and not being afraid to talk about it and just unabashedly talking about code mm-hmm. and so we've been talking about doing i think derek talked about this when he, when he was on mm. um this podcast which you may have listened to uh, I, I did hear that <laughs> one that episode i was there for that one you know, we've been talking about doing it for a while and just, you know, had to come together and mm-hmm. be, be the right time. November of 2014 was apparently the right time. Perfect time. <laughs> yeah. And um, if you're listening to The Bike Shed and you enjoy it, um, tell your friends about it. Tell other people about it. We'd really appreciate that because we do really like it. I like it as well. And the audience could be a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. So it'd be great if you could share it with people if you like it. And if you haven't listened to it and you think that that would be interesting... Um, give it a listen. It's at uh, bikeshed.fm. Yeah. And if you like this podcast, then you can also tell people about how much you like this one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't care. I I, I, I do care. I, I, listenership to me is like an interesting, kind of interesting number, but also it's kind of like, whatever. If like people like it, that's awesome. As long as there's some reasonable core of people that are into this, like, great. No, that that's that's right. But at the same time, I think it makes sense to try to spread the word about things. Oh, that totally. You like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, like, like for instance, like Giant Robots listenership has been flat-ish for a while. Like mm-hmm. it's five to seven thousand downloads per episode, somewhere in there, mm-hmm. uh, and that's that's great. I'm happy with that. Right. It's cool. I appreciate people letting us talk to them. That many people. Uh, also, in November, we updated the TDD Rails course, which is pretty great. That's uh, on up, up on Upcase, teaching people how to do test-driven development in Rails. Uh, I'm actually going through that today to think about updating it again. Mm-hmm. Um, Rails 5 is on the horizon, so we're trying to get our plans in place to refresh things and have it basically drop at the same time as Rails 5 with the current version and all that, and that will be nice. It's, it's one of these funny things where, like, there's actually not that much much that's going to change about it. Right. But, like, it stresses people out to be using old versions, which I understand. Right. Uh, especially if you're new, you're like, but wait a second, this is Rails 3.2 or whatever, or 4 yeah, something. When, like, you, when you are a target for the course, you don't know that it's not out of date. Right. You can only go off of the virgin numbers. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you're like, five is more than four. I'm stressed out. It's right. like, I understand. So. Right. But, you know, vi- we've video content 
is hard to keep up to date. It is. It takes a lot of work. And that's part of the reason we've been pushing towards other things like exercises mm -hmm. and these new flashcards and things like mm -hmm. that because it's it's much easier to do a pull request on uh, some text than all right we got to reshoot you know four hours of video yeah but uh, after also uh, upcase related in November was we changed the pricing uh, so we dropped the price from basically ninety nine dollars to twenty nine dollars with the goal of like hey let's get this to everybody let's right. like ninety nine dollars a month is completely prohibitive to a lot of the world actually. well it's exactly what we also talked about with the conferences right like ninety nine dollars makes sense for a certain target of people and it certainly makes sense if your company is paying for it right but if the majority of our customers are paying for it themselves mm -hmm. then that's a lot of money right for especially when you go outside of the u.s totally this is actually something, so like I've been sort of getting more and more aware of this, and this is something I think we're going to do in the future is actually offer discounted pricing to people that are in countries where like their mm -hmm. currency is just like weaker against, or the economy is just not as strong, for example. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, $29 a month, I think is a great price if you're in the US, but if you're in maybe India or Brazil, that, that might just be a, a thing where you just can't do it. It's just too much. So, that's... so has it worked? Uh, we haven't done it yet. No, no. I mean, oh, we the dropped price. the price from ninety nine to twenty nine dollars in the hopes that we'd grow the customer base. We did grow the customer way. base. Mm -hmm. uh, the customer base grew a lot. I think we're we're at about a thousand, like eleven hundred or twelve hundred mm -hmm. people uh, now. Uh, I don't know what it was back then. It was six hundred. Okay. <laughs> it's, okay. So yeah. So we doubled <laughs> the customer base. Boom. It's interesting though to see like so one of the things that we thought would also happen around six hundred. Sure. Sure. One of the things that we thought would happen is that dropping the price would mean people would stay subscribed way longer. Like, right. oh, it's just like this like thing you can just kind of like let run. Mm -hmm. uh, and people told us that that was true. <laughs> They're like, mm -hmm. oh, if you, like, I, I can't just let it run at 99, but at 29 or something. Right. Uh, hasn't really been the case. Mm -hmm. uh, churn, like user churn has gone down a little bit, but mostly is about where it was. Mm -hmm. So if you look at it just from like a financial point of view, I'm not sure it did much actually. Mm -hmm. Like overall revenue is, well, is about the same. Um, well, well that, but but that in and of itself is accomplishing something. True. So yeah, when yeah. we dropped the pricing, we moved all the existing customers to the $29 plan. So we gave up $70 a month from one month to the next on six, you know, whatever yep. number of customers were at the $99 a month plan. Right. And then recovered that revenue by gro I think growing it, customers. Yeah, base. I think it was four, four five months mm -hmm. over the course of that. Something like that. It was basically while you were away right. that that we we got back to that level. Mm -hmm. So that's been interesting. I always want to tweak pricing. That's one of the levers that I love to play with. Mm -hmm. But uh, we'll see. But fr from the from a point of view of like, can we get this to more people? Like when we think about our mission of like making more junior developers more senior and making the code that the Ruby community writes better, like it's that was definitely a success because we we're helping you know twice as many people. Yep. So that's cool. So 2015, we're in 2015. This is the home stretch in a sense. So in January, so you mentioned that we did like a analysis of the swearing in Slack. Uh, that was part of a, there's like a little mini site, basically visualization that was done in January, 2015, looking back at the year before. And it was like breakdown of blog posts by topic and new repos created by language and uh, st Slack stats. And that's a cool post. So I think, so this was when I was hosting the podcast, I think mm. I had Joanne on that makes sense. to talk about this. Mm -hmm. So I have no idea what episode number was. I did. One of the prerequisites was I wasn't going to prep for this. <laughs> so uh, it's in there. You can look it up. Yep. Maybe we'll, we'll link it in the show notes. There we go. Uh, or you can just go to 2014.thoughtbot.com yes. and see the whole visualization, which is, which is nicely done. 
Uh, and then in February, uh, we had some interesting things launch. Uh, we uh, launched the TMUX course on Upcase by Chris Toomey, uh, which has been awesome and like really crazy popular. Basically, like getting people you from love their TMUX. They love their TMUX. It's, it's so we, I was looking at some usage stats the other day, and like people, they love their TMUX and they love their Vim. Yeah, like those are our most popular thing topics. Like Rails plus TMUX plus Vim is like a huge chunk of what right. people want. It's, I it's, think I think I could be wrong, but I, the TMUX blog post from like 2011 mm-hmm. is still our most trafficked blog post on the whole blog. Yep, and it's like a TMUX crash course, and it's you know it's not that long. It's just kind of like mm-hmm. your first. 10 TMUX commands to know, and it's just been getting crushed since it came out. Do you use TMUX? I do. Oh, okay. I don't. Yeah. I use it, but it, like in a barely, like, I don't know. Yeah. I use like three commands. You're not a TMUX power user. I'm not a power user. You're I, not a power user of the power users. <laughs> it's true. I need to uh, watch the TMUX course, and then maybe <laughs> I'll level up my TMUXing. Uh, Chris likes to take it to the to the, the, the nth degree, so yeah. his TMUXing is much more solid. Uh, so that came out. Uh, we also launched maybe Haskell, uh, which is a book, like an introductory book on Haskell by Pat Brisbane, which was awesome. I did a lot of copy editing for that um, and really enjoyed it. Kind of got me on the Haskell train more than anything else had before. I was like, oh, I kind of understand this monad thing and this applicative thing and whatnot. Yeah, and it's applicable to applicable <laughs> <laughs> to um... functional programming joke <laughs> yeah. there for you. <laughs> To other things like Swift, uh, you know, yep. and the optional type and that kind of stuff is growing in popularity now. And mm-hmm. that's what the book focuses on. So that, that's been good for people. Totally. Uh, we also announced our Portland office. Yeah. Is that live now? Is that a thing? It is a thing. Diana and Bernard are there. Awesome. And um, they've been there for several months. And if you're in Portland. <laughs> you can tell how much attention I have. <laughs> You're in Portland um, and are looking for great iOS development or, you know, someone to help with your Rails app. Bernard specifically also worked at SoundCloud for a little over a year, I think, working exclusively on Go. So he's like our go-to Go person, mm-hmm. really experienced. He's on a Go project now. And um, so Rails, Go, whatever, and you want to work with someone local in Portland, we have a team there. Mm-hmm. And we'd love to work with you. We would. Also in February, I think it was February, I guess, is when I first sort of heard word of like, hey, we aren't doing quite as much work as we had been doing. Mm-hmm. There was sort of a, a little thing that happened. You want to talk about that? Yeah. So to historically, the beginning of the year, the end of the year and the beginning of the year is pretty slow for us because there's lots of vacations for one thing. People take vacations and there's the holidays. So work generally slows down. And also, like, on bigger companies, their budgets are on a yearly cycle, that kind of thing. So what we saw in February of this year was that it was, like, deeper and longer than it was. Mm -hmm. Like, typically, things start to pick back up in the beginning of February, and we're back to normal by the end of the month. And this February, they didn't really pick back up until the end of February. So we went a month longer where uh, work wasn't like we expected it to be. Mm-hmm. The other thing is we're significantly bigger now than we were last February and even bigger still than we were the February before that. And so sort of our planning and I, I you know the amount we had saved and all that kind of stuff didn't match the size at which we are now. Yep. Yep. And part of that is because I think you can analyze this all you want, but like we don't think, I don't think about the company in a lot of ways as this big group of a hundred people. I think about it like two people in Portland, 
four people in Austin, 12 people in San Francisco. It's these small teams. And so we sometimes forget the scale at which we're at now, and we don't necessarily plan for that. Mm -hmm. The other is you make what is a reasonable decision. We've largely ran the company based on intuition. Like Mm -hmm. we can generally make good decisions, reasonable decisions. We're all motivated by the same thing as developers and designers. So that can mean anything from um, we do quarterly increases. You give people um, salary increases. increases. Mm -hmm. You give people zero to 1% on every quarter, quarter over quarter. But say that's like, you give you you make the reasonable decision that you're going to do that this quarter for everybody in your mind that's just one person and it'll be maybe like a thousand dollars but if you make that reasonable decision across the whole company that adds up to another hundred thousand dollars in expenses right and you're doing it every quarter mm-hmm. um, it can get away from you really really quickly mm-hmm. and it got away from us a little bit and so once it was clear the magnitude of the problem and that we had it, we were going to have it under control and we were, we were back on track. We told everybody in the whole company about what was going on and that, and outlined a set of con- concrete steps about what we were doing, changes we would be making to, to fix it, and in the short term, what we needed to do. And we all pulled together and you know did the right things and recovered. The other thing is, is that it really was just a slowdown. So we were going to, uh, to a certain extent, we were probably going to recover regardless over the month of March. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's a little bit of both, but it was, I think it's one of those things where what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. It certainly didn't kill us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it certainly has been a reality check for me mm. because I was, you know, primary driver behind opening new offices and growing teams and that kind of thing and you know and largely doing it based on intuition Mm -hmm. and the company is at the scale where you know your intuition sort of breaks down it's hard to keep it all in your head it's hard to manage it that way and so it's been a reality check for me in terms of how we need to do things going forward from a financial perspective and from a thinking perspective and a planning perspective and like I said, I think we're stronger for it. We've both, I don't know. We're we also made a bunch of other changes mm-hmm. to the organization along with that to try to put us in a better position for this never to happen again, mm-hmm. and also to solve a bunch of longstanding problems that we had with the, that we felt we were getting off on track as we had gone from. 20 people just in Boston to 100 people across 10 offices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it did make us stronger. I think it, was, it, it seemed like the first time where we kind of stared, like, not death, but like serious consequences in the face, yeah. more or less. It's like, okay, if this doesn't fix it, like, we can't pay everybody at some point. Yeah. I, I mean, I was very, it's the first time since maybe the beginning of ThoughtBot when, you know, when you're starting a company, that, that it was the first time where it ever, we faced a scenario where like if we continue like this we will have to lay people off or reduce salaries or that that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and the prospect of that was really unacceptable to us surprise like we didn't we didn't want to do that Mm -hmm. it was it was unacceptable to us Mm -hmm. and i i think we largely decided to view it as a sales problem which is what it was and and try to fix it by doing what we hadn't been doing, which was getting back 
and really focusing on talking to as many co- potential customers as possible and getting new customers. Mm-hmm. Another thing that happened in my, my March list of things that launched is the longest of the year. Um, so we, you sent out sort of the, Hey, here's what's going on message. Right. And you know, one of the things people can do is like, you know, if there's, if there's something you can do that in the short term will generate revenue, like f- prioritize that. And in March we launched uh, one-on-one coaching launched an iOS app, Tropos. We launched Bourbon T-shirts, three books, uh, Write Yourself a Roguelike by Goose, Testing Rails by Steiner, Maintaining Open Source Projects by Tute, and two workshops, uh, one in Boston and one in Stockholm. Right. And like that was all in March. Uh, and clearly, you know, the, the call was heard and people started pushing through these things. It was like, okay, we, we think we can make, you know, some money over here. Let's, right. let's make sure this thing actually happens. Yeah, some of it was that, well, they had been working, not working on client work since January, right? Mm. So like Tropos Fair enough. Was, was sort of being worked on and clear communication around not only that we needed to get it out the door, but like that. We're going to be, there's also a matter of like the time at which you have not on client work is over, like either over because we can't continue it or over because we're working so hard to get you booked on a new client project that that time is going to go away. So Mm -hmm. it's important to ship that as quickly as possible. Mm Mm-hmm. And Rototo was another one. I don't know if you you mentioned that. That was actually came out in April. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, another iOS app. Uh, And another book designed for the web. And Carnival for other sites. Right. So yeah, so like March and April, like a lot of stuff went out to the world. Yeah, and every little bit counts. Mm -hmm. You know, it's those kinds of things where, you know, you put it in terms of the overall company and a couple hundred dollars, it really doesn't make that much of a difference but when it's down to the individual person you know it's a significant amount of their how what we're paying for salary and those kinds of things yeah and the other thing is is it's also about intentionality like the switch from like i can work on this and it doesn't really matter because the company is okay Mm -hmm. to like no I, i need to figure out how the intersection of my interests and how i can help match up yep then i'll do whatever i can do mm hmm and again, I think it's one of those things where like, hopefully going forward, people who have been at, like, we got comfortable, I think. Like mm-hmm. w- in the last two years, we've added 75 people to ThoughtBot. So that's 75 people who have never been through the lean times at ThoughtBot or seen it grow or those kinds of They're things. They're summer children. Yeah. <laughs> and so hopefully, you know, this is a little bit of a reality check for everybody that you got to stay on your toes and you got to be ready to, you know, you got to be focused on, on building a successful company. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Uh, so along those, well, not quite along those lines, but talking about ThoughtBot uh, meta stuff, we had sort of a reorganization uh, in June. Yeah. So one of these things I posted on the blog, which was creating design directors, mm-hmm. which I didn't really get into it in the blog post, but that had add-on effects where the way we were organized before, we had a single person in each office who was managing director. That person in almost every office was a developer. Yep. And they spent the majority of their time not on client work. Mm -hmm. So they were responsible for most of the talking to potential customers Mm -hmm. in an office. They were also responsible for leading and doing reviews and everyone in the office. Mm Mm-hmm. So when we added the design directors and we promoted 
um, designers to a design director position, we also changed all the managing directors who were developers to be development directors. Mm -hmm. And it was really all in the spirit of creating a team of people who were actually working together to support the office and to make the office successful. Mm -hmm. And that team really better reflected how ThoughtBot always had been. It was a team of people. And we had sort of existed on this myth that like I had done everything and the, the sales and leading the team and all that stuff. And that if I could do it, then, you know, well, your office is only six people. Why are you spending all of your time talking to potential customers instead of working on client work with your team? Hmm. And the reality was, is I was never actually alone. And when I was alone doing it, it was not that we weren't that successful. <laughs> and so, you know, Matt and Dan, you know, first Matt and then Dan, like we essentially had a team of three people who were significantly leading a team and, and contributing to the management and sales of a team of 20 people. Mm-hmm. And then we grew and we didn't really replicate that instead what we said was as we open another office we're going to have one person doing each thing Mm -hmm. so we at the same time as hopefully solving for the problem that designers didn't feel like they had parity with developers at thoughtbot they didn't have a support structure we also were hopefully creating a more team-based environment where we could all work with each other to be successful Mm -hmm. and then also another change which was saying Matt, Dan, and Trace really focus on operations and sales Mm -hmm. now. And that means that, like, yeah, we want developers and designers to talk to potential customers. We don't have salespeople. But at the same time, like, is the most valuable use of your time, like, sending somebody an invoice? Mm -hmm. It's probably not. Mm -hmm. Like, so, like, stop sending invoices. We'll have an operations team. And right now that operations team is – people who have been developers and designers at ThoughtBot. Mm-hmm. Um, in the future, you know, we may add someone who it makes more sense to be the one sending invoices or we'll figure out how to outsource that or automate it. Yeah. And that's more likely that we'll outsource it or automate it. Yeah. The core of that change to me, the, the part that was most interesting was the giving design a real seat at the table. Mm-hmm. Like when you looked at the C-level of the company, there were no designers. Right. And that changed. Like now Kyle Fiedler is our chief design officer. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like you said, most of the managing directors were developers. Right. And so design was like, is, is super important to us. Like it's a huge portion of the yeah. company. It's like, it's it's vital to ThoughtBot for right. sure. But it wasn't represented in the management levels, it felt like. It's a, it's a side effect of the way that we grew. So like the only person in the senior leadership of the company who has always been there is me. <laughs> Everyone else grew into that position based on how they contributed to the company, and they're sort of crossing that gap from being a developer designer to contributing to the success and business of the company, where it's like crossing that threshold from like, we work together, but now I want to be in business with you. Because that's also this overlap between like having share of uh, being a shareholder in ThoughtBot and, mm-hmm. and not be. And we had always said it's a huge deficiency not to have a designer on that, but we're just waiting for someone to work their way up to that mm-hmm. because we don't want to just reach, you know, pluck someone out who hadn't contributed, who hadn't done anything, who hadn't earned the respect of the team. 
those kinds of things to play that role. So thankfully, eventually Kyle did that. And I think wide consensus on the team was like that he had been doing it already. And it's a very small change. He had already been regularly interviewing all the designers at the company and figuring out how we can make it better. And, and so now he has a seat at that table and, and is privy to like all the planning discussions and, and, and all the decision-making. And I think that that's really beneficial. And then at, at every level, having designers have parity with developers in the management structure is important. Now, you know, I've been reluctant to take this lesson and apply it to bigger things. But as I was writing the blog post, it wasn't lost on me that I could basically take design and put any minority, like actual minority, in and replace the word designer with that minority. Like you look at the stupid blog post that I wrote and put women instead. Uh-huh. It, like it's ridiculous. Like huh. every single piece of logic, every single thing in terms of any minority at, in tech in the company, yep. same thing applies. Like word for word, the blog post could stay the same. Hmm. And so I don't know how we reconcile that. <laughs> yeah. Same same thing applies though. You you don't want to just take people and lower the like just pluck people up and say we need to have so and so on the management team. Mm-hmm. And and that be, that absence becomes more important than finding, you know, having someone who actually deserves to be in that position. Right. So what that means though is that you have to spend a lot of effort and time at every level of the ladder mm-hmm. so that someone can move up the ladder totally and knows that they will yes yeah. yeah that's like that's the thing with kyle like you said it's a very small change from what he actually was already doing mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. like a record and then that's they say that's like the best promotion that's when promotions tend to happen it's like you're already doing this job we're just going to catch your title up to right. what this thing is right. yeah that makes sense cool did i forget anything anything major so i'm going to london today i'm flying yeah. to london that was um blog posts that came out in June mm-hmm. but like that's been in the works for a while mm-hmm. so um I'm helping start our presence there so if you are in London and you want to meet up for coffee or tea or a beer um get in touch and certainly get in touch if your company might need help from a thoughtbot developer or designer either you're starting something new or you have an existing product that that you want to improve uh we're there to help you in person mm-hmm so that's the past and a little bit of the future. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a great place to leave it. Cool. Thank you, Ben. Yeah. Thanks for coming by down one floor from your management stronghold. Into yeah. The, in the corner. Next in the corner. Everybody. Yeah. Awesome. Today's show was produced and edited by Tom Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 153. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next year. Just kidding. <laughs> Thanks for listening.